Welcome to Joint Effort with Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. This podcast covers the pain and injuries that are associated with muscles, ligaments, and joints. Well, I'm here with Jason Sullivan, who is one of our hardest working, youngest surgeons here, high volume surgeon, does a lot of sports medicine. Um, he's also here at DCG. You're the team doctor for DCG, right? Yeah, last seven years. Which is our uh, one of the best uh, 3A uh, sports teams in, in all of Iowa. Absolutely. Um, now, you, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, your competitive streak. You know, I know that you grew up playing sports. Uh, was it Dowling? I did, yeah. Uh, playing sports at Dowling, basketball. Um, I also know that you... Um, were involved in some kind of a, at Notre Dame when you were there, you were involved in some kind of a 5-on-5, the biggest outdoor basketball tournament? Yeah, absolutely. Right? The bookstore basketball tournament in Notre Dame is a pretty big deal. Yeah. About 500 teams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's just fun for people that weren't good enough to play sports in college, honestly. But uh, I rode the coattails of three guys that played on the football team and ended up in the NFL. Really? And, I, and I was the only guy on the team that couldn't dunk. So that, that was enough for my competitive streak to be on a winning team. Were but you a guard? I, I was a guard. Yeah. They told me to shoot the ball, and they said eventually I'll make it, but they'll keep getting the rebounds for me and uh did you guys do pretty well at that oh we did great yeah we had we had uh justin tuck on that team who was a 10-year you know vet in the nfl and uh he just got all the boards and huh. and uh we beat everybody pretty handily wow so so you won it you won the whole we thing. won the whole thing oh my gosh we won the whole thing yeah that is amazing um i i know you're competitive because uh, we used to actually lift weights together and do all sorts of weird stuff at like six in the morning before we went to surgery. Yeah, you until, ditched me. I still I still show up every morning yeah. thinking you'll be there. Well, I'm a lot older than you are, so <laughs> I, I had to quit. I knew when to call. call yeah, me. those are good times. Those were good. I times. think the last time we did that, I almost passed out, and we were lifting your weight instead of mine, and I, I couldn't get through it. Well, that was the best shape I've been in, but it's uh, gone downhill since then. Um, one other thing I want to talk about before we get into talking about ACL reconstruction and uh, some of the. Uh, topics, hot topics and controversies and uh, things about that is I did want to talk about a controversy that I heard about, which is that um, you forced a vegan endurance athlete to eat a zombie burger. Is that correct? Yeah, that was uh, 2016, New Year's Eve. And uh, long story short, I was kind of losing touch with my eating habits and working out. And a friend of mine who's an anesthesiologist who's in very good shape. Brad Bergman. Yeah. Yes, Brad. He, he gave me uh, he, uh, permission to use his name he on, did. on the podcast. He, yeah. um, he's one of the like one of the fittest guys in, oh, in Iowa, probably. And, and he, he researches all this, uh, you know, how to eat right, how to exercise, how longevity medicine. I had a plate of Olive Garden with all the pastas on my plate, and he walked in one day at the surgery center and said, "Hey, Sullivan, you know your next meal is guaranteed, right?" And just laughed at me and walked out, and then took a picture of me and sent it to everybody. So. Uh, at that moment, I said, you know what, I got to kind of get control of this thing. And he's a runner. I said, all right, pick a 5K time that I can't make. And he said, fine. We settled on 19 and a half minutes. This is not minutes. a treadmill. On a treadmill. This is not out running in the streets. We ne- much different. We negotiated treadmill because I think it's a little easier. But And it was wintertime. So I trained for about three months for this, and I was pretty out of shape at the time. If I win, he's got to eat a zombie burger, and he had not had meat in about 10 years. <laughs> And he had to have anything else we ordered, a shake, fries, yeah, whatever. Yeah, not from Des Moines, zombie burger is not like just a piece of meat. It's, there's yeah, all it's sorts of two or three patties and fat and bacon and whatever else you can decide. Yes, it, it's delicious, but he disagrees with that, yeah. I guess. Um, if he wins, I have to eat vegan for a week 
and he said he'd help plan the meals, which actually really kind of ticked my wife off when she heard that. So now I saw you training. Though. You had like a uh, sweatband. That's yeah, like I had, beat Bergman or something. I, had, I wrote his name on there. Got <laughs> dialed in. Uh, we made it happen. Nineteen twenty four. Then we went to Zombie Burger, and the poor guy walking back to his car at the end. You, you, you yeah. know, you've never seen someone so disappointed. Well, in themselves. I, yeah, I'm, uh, I was there for both of those events. I'm acting like I don't know what's going on, but you were I, running right behind me, saying "Go faster." I was, I was running right behind you, <laughs> yeah. but uh, on another treadmill. But uh, I think he was probably sweating more uh, eating the burger than you were running the yeah. the five. No, no, we had it. We had it all the way. You helped me train for well, it. Well, that's, so. that's the kind of competitive guy I'm talking to here. He's a, a big athlete and. Uh, uh, really busy, uh, excellent sports doctor. And today we're going to talk about uh, ACL reconstructions. There's so much to talk about here. I hope we can get it all done. Some of the stuff will be interesting for um, just beginners, lay people. Some of it might be something that, uh, you know, medical students or such might be interested in. Um, You know, I'll just say an ACL is like the main central ligament in the knee, controls somewhat the shin bone moving forward on the femur bone. It controls some rotation too. It's really an important ligament in the knee. can you tell me how people might tear their ACL to anterior cruciate ligament? Yeah, absolutely. There's primarily two mechanisms. There's non-contact where they, they come down from a rebound or they make a cut and their knee gives way. Or there's contact injuries where football, you see a helmet violently uh, hitting a knee and the knee kind of going sideways and then they're laying on the ground in pain. Um, a large majority of them are non-contact actually and uh, the patient can't even believe it. They say no one hit me, I just came down and all of a sudden I couldn't walk and my knee swelled up. Do so. some people feel uh, some kind of a pop or anything like that or do mo- not? Mo- most often they, they, they go down and they, they know something happened. Sometimes they hear a pop or, or feel a pop. Uh, sometimes they just feel like their knee gave way mm-hmm. and next thing they know it's swollen and they can't really bear weight mm-hmm. for a few days. We hear, I mean it's a pretty common injury we hear it about in the pros too. I remember Adrian Peterson. You know, had a tear. He got back phenomenal shape in yeah. six months, which is not the norm. I don't want people to think that's the norm. Right. But uh, you know, some people might be interested that Clay Thompson tore his ACL last year for Golden State. And then, can you tell me about that? You know, how he's able to still function a little bit? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. He got back up. I believe he he knocked down two free throws after that. Um, you know, when you're standing. Uh, you have enough support. You don't need the ACL to stand and shoot a free throw. He was courageous enough to do that. I think he even backpedaled afterwards mm-hmm. to get back on defense, but he probably wouldn't have been too valuable. Uh, but, yeah, you know, eventually after an ACL tear, you can bear full weight. You can function rather normally. It just comes to that side-to-side ability or that explosive ability. So for sports, you you need to maybe have that address, but for walking in a straight line or climbing stairs, usually you don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. But most of the time, if you want to get back to sports, you need to – take a look at that um can you tell me um there's some interesting patterns uh like who gets an acl tear like uh, who is a high risk for this females are about four to five to one compared to males mm-hmm. um and that's for a lot of reasons um we think there's kind of uh, a lot of things to do with how they land mm-hmm. and uh, the, the angles at which you know their knees uh you know uh, perform actions like cutting pivoting mm-hmm. uh, and shifting um and so that's why we you know and you see it in your practice too mm-hmm. you see a lot more females coming in yes. um than males uh, there's also more high risk sports mm-hmm. than others um you have soccer basketball things like that football this is probably a whole uh, whole topic on our uh podcast but uh you think the exposure to the sport, you know how one sport athletes are doing a sport all year long. They might do soccer for 10 months instead of two months, like when we were in school. You think that has anything to do with it? 
Yeah, I think without a doubt, we've identified that no matter what the injury pattern, what the sport, I think recommendation, at least that I give in clinic, is that every kid should take at least three months off from any sport they're playing, um, simply because the adaptive changes that happen to the body you know, over time uh, leave you prone, susceptible to these kind of injuries that can happen. Mm-hmm. So um, cross training is fantastic in terms of, you know, I want my kids growing up to play multiple sports for that mm-hmm. reason, you know. But, yeah, all the, like the Hawkeye um, football coaches, everybody's all about four-sport athletes, you know, and people who do a lot of different things well, you know, I think probably in part because it uh, might limit their risk for injury. You know? yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked about how you can walk a little bit, uh, you could jog, you could bicycle without an ACL and probably not do further damage, but, like, who really needs an ACL fix or reconstruction um you know in particular of of course we think of athletes and i think that's a no-brainer that if you want to do cutting and pivoting you need to have your acl in good shape what about you know extremes of age like maybe a a 55 year old person is one extreme and then the other one would be somebody like a how about a 13 year old boy who maybe looks more like a 10 year old boy you know they're not quite through puberty yet Mm -hmm. that sort of thing how do you address those two situations yeah let me start with the 13 year old kid so um, skeletal maturity is kind of how we rate people based on how they're growing. We know boys tend to grow till they're about 16. Mm-hmm. And so we can look at radiographs and kind of determine what the growth plate looks like, how much longitudinal growth they have left. Uh, the reason you bring that up, I think, is it's important. If you do the reconstruction, you, you, you have to uh, be cognizant of the growth plates. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to cause them to have an angular deformity of any mm-hmm. variety or anything like that. So I, I think about 10, 15 years ago, a 13-year-old, you know, maybe even younger, people thought, okay, let's brace these kids. Mm -hmm. Let's get them a little older, a little bigger, and then do the ACL reconstruction. I think there's, lately, there's been a change in that development. And with the advent of some pediatric sports medicine uh, specialists, uh, we we now kind of know that there are different techniques that can be done to spare the growth plate or minimize any damage to the growth plate. And the reason we think that doing an ACL reconstruction for a kid makes sense is that you're really trying to prevent injury to the other structures in the knee. Right, like the meniscus. Meniscus, cartilage. cartilage, Mm -hmm. exactly. If you let a kid go play, he's probably not going to tell mom and dad my knee gives out of me every so often, but he may be doing irreversible damage because you can reconstruct an ACL, but it gets really tough when you start losing your meniscus volume, your Mm -hmm. cartilage, because then you're really set up for problems down the line. Right. In that 55-year-old you're saying... Right. in my practice, most 55-year-olds that come in with an ACL tear, it typically happened because they're fairly functional. Mm-hmm. And so they tell me, I ask them kind of, what are your goals here? And if their goals are to do anything active where they're going to feel some kind of instability, I do mm-hmm. offer them reconstruction. Mm-hmm. There are a few that decide, you know, I, I think I'm going to go without. But majority of them tend to kind of say, yeah, let's do this. I'd like to get back to the level I'm at. And mm-hmm. as you know, you know, 55 is a new, you know, 40, honestly. I mean, the, not the, quite yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, you know, and if they do decide to do non-operative treatment, we focus on hamstring strengthening, right? Mm-hmm. Plus or minus maybe a brace, but which maybe hasn't been shown to eliminate instability episodes, but might give people more confidence to get back to playing. It's probably, more or less, it probably just reminds them they have an issue going sure. on, you know, sure. and it, to take it easy right. or something. Well, there's, um, you know, those are kind of the generalities of, uh, you know, who tears ACLs and uh, how we address them. Um, so let's say you have an ACL tear, your, your surgeon 
does an exam, we can usually tell just by feeling if there's uh, mm-hmm. ACL tear. We often get an MRI, not necessarily to check the ACL, but also to look for associated injuries like you're talking about, which can be the, the worst part of it, yeah. a big meniscus. Do you tear. always get an MRI in yours? I do. I've yeah. had a little pushback sometimes from insurance on that. Like if I'm really? sure they have an ACL tear, but I always get an MRI. Yeah, I just, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I feel like um, with advanced imaging now, the, the it's harder these days to have guesswork ahead yeah. of time. You know, I think patients really want to know exactly what you're going to address. Yeah. If they wake up with a meniscus repair and they can't bear weight afterwards, right. Right. they're kind of upset with you. Why don't you tell me that yeah. ahead of time? It's just like best for the discussion ahead of time so you can tell people kind of, you could tell people you've got a, a piece of cartilage that's floating around in the knee mm-hmm. and that we have to address or and also you can have the equipment ready although we have all the equipment at the surgery center already it's nice to have all that ready to go you know how long the case is going to take it's not 45 minutes it's now an hour and 45 minutes absolutely that sort of thing and you can counsel the patients um so what i love talking about too is uh you know for some things there's one answer for everything for mm-hmm. acls there's a lot of different answers for how people do it there's you know, variation from coast to coast. There's variation from where you trained on what graft you use, how you do it, etc. Yeah. Um, so that's what I want to talk about a little bit too, while we have some time left. Um, can you? So initially, I know they did a lot of weird stuff back before we were doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trying to sew it together or putting some Dacron um, mesh in there or something like that. Why can you or can't you just fix an ACL? Yeah. You know, Tor. Why don't you fix it? No, that's a good question. Uh, and, and a lot of people come in uh, saying, oh, you're going to repair my ACL, right? They, right. they, they say exactly. that a lot, and you have to kind of correct them because you don't want them thinking, yeah, I'm going to put some stitches through right. this. If anyone actually, um, uh, most, uh, you know, once you scope a knee, you kind of understand why it's not really repairable in most circumstances. Because, first of all, a lot of times it's a mid-substance tear or near the femoral insertion, and the ligament itself is folded in front of you and it looks like a blind stump after about yeah. two or three weeks and the ability to put anything through that, that of any value, you know, and so, it, you know, you know, right away it needs to be reconstructed. Right. There are very few where maybe there's a partial tear of one of the bundles that mm-hmm. may, could you potentially tighten that back up? Maybe. But I think that the force that goes to the knee when you injure the ACL is strong enough that even if the ligament looks okay on the inside, it's altered to right. some degree, so basically, right? basically, if it's functionally unstable, you need to reconstruct it, not repair it. Correct. And then the next question that people ask about, and not everybody does, but is graft choice. Yeah. And there's a lot of controversy about that. The graft is what we're going to make the new ACL with. Um, your choices initially are from a cadaver or from a uh, from the patient's own body. Mm-hmm. So um, are there some people that you would never do a cadaver graft in and some people that you would most likely do a cadaver grafted? Yeah, um, good question. I actually, a few times I've had some patients almost decide to leave because I've told them if they're young enough, and I think anyone in their 20s or younger personally, even in their 30s, I tell them to use your own tissue. That That's what we call autograft. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some people come in and say, I, I like an allograft. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw that on the West Coast sometimes. A lot of MMA fighters would come in and say, I got a fight coming up. I need to be trained and let's do allograft so there's no morbidity and I'll fight. And if I tear it again, pain from the harvest site. Yeah. So they don't want to, they don't want pain from where you're going to take the graft from, or maybe the loss of function that may be subtle, but they think is a big deal to them. Um, but I think teenagers, uh, college athletes, even into your thirties and forties, I really recommend using your own tissue. Yeah. Uh, because I think that we've learned that the failure rate is much, much less than using allograft tissue. Yeah, absolutely. So for college athletes, high school athletes, 
they need to use their own tissue in your practice and in mine. Yep. Maybe in somebody my age, if they want to not have the morbidity from harvesting. Yeah, you could have allograft all day long. Low-functioning right? athletes <laughs> could have what, I, what I'd take, which is probably an allograft. <laughs> so I can get back to work in a week or something. You, know? you could, yeah. Um, then, I mean, this isn't as important because uh, everybody's got their own opinion. But what about hamstring and bone, tendon, bone? Yeah. I know there's been research that shows that both are equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about that? My practice is probably about 60-40 or maybe even closer to 50-50 now. Which way? 50-50. I, Which way? I, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tricky question. Yes, I know. I would say so. I'd say 60% bone patellar tendon bone. Yeah. 40% hamstring. Yeah. Um, and that may be just the, the bias of the practice that I'm in. Um, I, I still think for high schoolers and college athletes involved in any cutting sports, I like bone patellar tendon bone. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of advantages. And, and, and what we mean by that is you're taking a plug off the patella, the kneecap, and then you're taking part of the slip of the patellar tendon and then part of the tibial tubercle. So there's two bones on the end right. of a tendon in the middle. And so what you do is re- you replug that into your sockets <clears throat> and you can compress that or you can suspend it with fixation. Yeah. And ultimately, I think the healing is a little bit quicker in studies, maybe a couple of weeks in terms of integration. Especially if the patient's a, kind of a squirrely high school kid and you don't know if they'll wear their brains or anything like that. <clears throat> exactly. So, exactly. So for some people, you use hamstring, but for your go-to is BTB, bone tendon bone, patellar tendon in athletes of the college high school age most of the time. It is. I think my bias is formulated just from my fellowship training sure. out on the west coast and i saw that routinely utilized it's very uh, regional isn't it? it it is regional and in a lot in residency in chicago i probably did a little more hamstring yeah which is fantastic procedure as well yeah um i was yeah, actually when i was at mayo <clears throat> i'm sorry to interrupt when i was at mayo all we did was btb yeah. and then i got bone tendon bone i got here and all the sports guys only did hamstring so it's very regional i was told when i moved here <clears throat> um by someone in the medical world not a doc uh he said what, what do you use for acl i said well i use either um but he said, if you don't do hamstring, you're not going to get any ACLs in Des Moines. <laughs> he said, that's how biased the town is. And so I don't fight with anyone. <clears throat> if they're convinced they need hamstring, that's yeah. totally fine. Yeah. Totally acceptable. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's occasion I'll do an all inside graft as well, which mm-hmm. is a nice technique. Mm-hmm. I think you need to know how to do things a bunch of different ways uh, to treat your patients. I agree. Yeah. And the nice thing about a, a bone tendon bone is, you know, it's going to be a certain size every time. Yep. A hamstring, you know, you might be in a smaller, uh, you know, like we said, a lot of these are women, uh, might be a 14, 15 year old woman and you get a hamstring that's very small and wimpy and those mm-hmm. might have a higher failure rate. Mm-hmm. So exactly. you're predictable if you use a bone, tendon, bone. A little bit more, yeah. You can get some anterior knee pain or front of the knee pain if yeah. you rehab correctly afterwards. You can. I think with newer techniques, the way that if you protect the sheath that surrounds the tendon, mm-hmm. and I think if you bone graft in the patella, mm-hmm. um, and this is anecdotal, but in my experience, the complaints of anterior knee pain seem to be less than okay. the, you know, the... That's great prescribed 10 to 30 percent that they claim can happen. So but typically I mean if we look at the research whatever graft if it's done correctly has good success rates for ACL reconstruction. Just Correct. Just kind of go with it however they the surgeon was trained and what they think and but feel free to ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. A um, couple of other little controversial things that uh, we can clear up hopefully before we move on to some post-op protocol. I think yeah. we have just a few minutes left but um one thing would be that a couple of our partners, uh, Dr. Honkamp and uh, Schulte, trained with Freddie Fu, and uh, he was a big proponent of the um, double bundle Yeah. Uh, because there are two distinct bundles to the ACL, which have a little different um, function. Mm-hmm. What do you think about double bundle technique? What is the research showing about doing two different 
tunnels, two different grafts to make it yeah. more anatomic. We've learned uh, so much from Dr. Fu's research, um, and uh, we understand there are two bundles to the ACL. I think that in maybe some revision settings or recurrent instability settings that you might consider going that route. Uh, I think the national trend among most of the sports docs that I'm aware of is still to do a single bundle reconstruction Mm -hmm. um, and kind of air in between the two bundles as your isometric point for your graft. Because longitudinally, if you look at performance, it's pretty much the same in most studies that Mm -hmm. I've seen. Yeah, exactly. Okay. we could talk about tunnel uh, position. Um, you know, there's a couple different ways to drill it, um, but I think I'd like to talk a little bit more about. I think that's uh, you know kind of surgeon dependent, but I'd like to talk a little more about what's it like after an ACL reconstruction. Yeah. What do you do in the first month? What's your return to sport protocol, etc. Yeah. So everyone's a little bit different, but <clears throat> I have them locked out straight until they see me back in the office, usually seven or eight days later. Mm-hmm. Um, I do get them set up you mean actually. In a brace. You put it out straight. In a yeah. brace, straight in a brace. Surgery takes about. Surgery takes about an hour. Okay. Let's say, mm-hmm. um, depending upon graft or mm-hmm. complexity, if there's a meniscus tear, or whatever mm-hmm. there may be. Um, a majority of my ACLs get a, a continuous passive motion machine. Okay. Um, a bending machine. Yeah, that that I like that just because I think it gets them moving a little mm-hmm. bit. So they come out of their brace and they do that a couple times a day. So that helps them work on a, some early range of motion. And it also lets us not worry about PT right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, when they come see me, I take the dressing down. We address their wounds and everything. By that point, things are starting to calm down, and we get them into physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And the physical therapy, we have a protocol that you know, uh, myself, you, the sports guys, have kind of all streamlined here at DMOS. Right. And um, ultimately, it takes them through uh, working on initially working on their extension, working mm-hmm. on some co-contractions, the quad and the hamstrings working on just getting the swelling and the deem out of the leg, putting full weight down. Put weight on it the first month. I let them put full weight down right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, when they can perform a straight leg raise, I feel comfortable unlocking the brace, letting them walk and getting off so crutches. maybe a month to six weeks with brace Yeah, or, or whatever. It I think on how quick they wake up the muscles, right? Exactly. I, and some people get some quadriceps atrophy. That means yeah. the, the muscle that extends your knee kind of goes to sleep a little mm-hmm. bit. Sometimes they take a little bit longer to come back and need the brace for a little bit longer. So I know everything's, everybody's different, but uh, now my two other questions for you are, you know, when would you let them go back to sport if everything is functioning really well and if they have their own tissue, not with, an, not with a cadaver tissue? And then also, uh, my last question would be, do you think that an ACL functional brace is helpful or Mm -hmm. is it, again, just a mental kind of thing to give confidence? So most docs across country, I think, are about a six-month. For me, it's six months Mm -hmm. where I feel like, okay, if we've hit all our parameters we need to hit, you can go back and play sports. I, I think... We all realize internally that may be a little too soon for some people mm-hmm. um, because when you test their strength side to side, it can be a lot weaker than you than you think. Yeah. And so I tell everyone that we have some newer ideas on like people's own anxiety and confidence levels. That's actually as important as their physical progression. And so I tell everyone if they feel confident, they want to get back, 
And we have some newer things at DMOS where we can test their strength side to side. And if that all matches up, six months is fine. Anything before that, I tend to tell them not to do. There's plenty of, I think, patients of mine who probably do their own thing and maybe get by with it. Um, But studies will tell you that the graft continues to mature until almost about two years out. You're basically taking a tendon and you're making it, the body has to make it become a ligament. That takes a really long time. And it doesn't happen all by six months, but usually they're strong enough to get back around that time. Well, you know, the, it's one of the most fun procedures to do, get, getting um, patients back to sports that they love. Uh, ideally, you know, we would address this ahead of time, and people are doing that with, um, you know, especially in, in high-risk groups like women in soccer and working on strengthening so that we talked we talked about some of the defects that some uh, athletes have with weakness yeah. in the hips and in the knees. So ideally, we'd have this never happen and not have to do surgery, but we do have good techniques to fix it. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and yeah. uh, telling us all your expertise about ACL reconstruction. And uh, I think this is going to be a, a great podcast for us. Uh, thanks for having me. It's good times. Mm-hmm.